It's been said that life is not measured by time, but that it's measured in moments. Life is not measured in time. Life is measured in moments, which is true in many ways when you actually think about that. Like, rarely do you remember a whole year, a whole month, a whole week, maybe even a whole day. Sometimes it's embarrassing when I preach a message and someone brings up a point that I made yesterday or even later this afternoon, and I'm like, I said that? Or they're like, remember when you said, what was that? And I'm like, I don't know. And for example, like this past week, I can barely remember. I know that I woke up Monday and Landon was sick and wanted to stay home. And I'm like, oh, I really wanted you at school. Uh, Tuesday, it began snowing. Um, but even that, the details are just getting fuzzy. And then there's moments that I remember from this past year. I remember uh, the baptisms we had. Those are highlights for me. Ben, Laura, Gary, like those, those are phenomenal. And then I remember last year in the winter when there was no power and no heat in the building. And we had to go to Mark and Alicia's place and, and have a, a worship service in their family room. And it was so meaningful. And then there's other significant moments throughout my life, like the day Amanda and I got married and the day Amanda and I even met is super memorable in my mind the birth of my children, or the day that I lost my grandparents. And I might have worded that weird, not all on one day. They didn't die together, but the days that I lost my grandparents. And then there are some of my favorite Christmas memories that also include my grandparents. Life is not measured by time, it's measured by moments. So today we're starting a new series called Holy Moments. And we're going to be looking at four specific holy moments found within the Christmas story, the story of our, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So starting today and ending on Christmas Eve, we'll be looking at these four holy moments. So to open up the message series today, we're going to look at a very powerful moment of obedience with one key thought. And the moment you hear this thought, it might just be the moment that God starts doing a work within you. It might just allow you to enter into what he wants to do in and through you this season. And the key thought is this, you have no idea what God can do through one moment of obedience. And some of you know that because at one time you've been prompted to do something, say something, give something, and you followed through on it and you look back and you're like, wow, I can't believe all that God set into motion through that one small act of obedience. But, there are also other times that we feel prompted to say something, do something, give something, and we don't know all the details. Well, how will this play out? What's the end result? And the act of obedience seems so difficult and so hard to do, so we actually don't do it. And then maybe in the future, you look back and you wonder, what did I miss out on by not being obedient in that moment? What did God plan to do that maybe he didn't do through me because I didn't obey. And that's why the title of today's message is called When It's Hard to Obey. So Father, I just ask that our hearts would be open to you, that we would be open to your word, your living word, and that you would do a work in us. Give us the faith to obey, knowing that you're always good and your word is always true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to dive into a very specific portion of the Christmas story. So you can simply scan this QR code to jump to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. 
So you might have to, I tried this out the other day to see if I could actually scan this from the back of the church and you might have to zoom in, but a link should pop up taking you to the Bible app or you also have Bibles to follow along in the seats in front of you. But we're gonna be in Matthew's gospel today and I wanna read you a portion of God's word. Scripture says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Let's all say Joseph. Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, chances are pretty are pretty good that many of you are familiar with Mary, the Virgin Mary. She gets a lot of stage time. She gets a lot of attention. She gets a lot of sermons preached about her. But today, I want to talk to you about Joseph, who is a very important character, but one of the less talked about characters in the Bible. And one of the reasons he's not talked about very much is because he didn't appear to live as long as normal. So for that reason, we just don't know a lot about him. And so there's not a lot of sermons about him because we don't have a lot of material. But I'll tell you what we do know from scripture about Joseph. Here's what we do know about him. We know that he was a carpenter. We know that he was righteous and faithful. We know that he was a descendant of David. We know that he was Mary's husband, and we know that he was Jesus' earthly father. That's the information we have. Outside of that, we don't know too much about him, but we do know that one moment of obedience helped bring about a change that impacts all of us to this day. When we look at Joseph and we see him in scripture, we see a bit about him, in the early years of Jesus. But the last time he's mentioned is when Jesus is 12 years of age, and he seems to then just disappear from the story. Now, most scholars believe that he most likely died because they wouldn't have likely divorced, and we're gonna see that play out in the story. But we also can come to that conclusion because Jesus stayed at home until he was 30. And there were no video games at the time. He wasn't living in his parents' basement. It, but what was typical is that in the Jewish culture and tradition, if your mother was widowed, you would stay at home to take care of her and provide for her. So we also know that when Jesus was on the cross, he looked to John, one of his disciples, and he said, would you take care of my mom? That's essentially what he's saying. Like, this is my mother. Would you take care of her? So I believe that she was probably a widow in light of all of this information that we have. And in the context of our story that we just read, we, we know that he was engaged to Mary. Now, most of us today think engagement, like mid-20s, late-20s, but Mary was probably, most scholars say, 14 or 15. Some even think maybe as early as 13 years of age, which is super young. But it's kind of what they would do back then. But she was also a virgin who comes to her fiance and says, I'm pregnant. And when he hears this news, knowing that he hadn't been with her intimately, he would have been devastated beyond measure even more than you might think, because if you understand the first century Jewish engagement culture, when you got engaged, it was actually a legal ag agreement. It was more like marriage is for us now. They just weren't allowed to consummate the marriage until the formal public ceremony. So when we read that they were engaged, we have to think they, they were 
married in a sense. They were legally bound to one another. They just weren't allowed to engage in the gift of lovemaking. So if Mary had sex with another man, this was a life-ruining scandal. Mary, the one that he loved with all of his heart, his future wife, the one that would help raise their kids, she, if she had disobeyed God, she would have totally dishonored her family and she would have totally disgraced Joseph who would be laughed at and mocked and shunned even in his community. And it was considered such a horrible sin that according to Deuteronomy 22, Joseph could have legally stoned her to death. But that didn't happen a whole lot, but it was legal. But what was more common would have been him and his embarrassment not to be shamed because everyone would be like, oh man, look what Joseph did. But what he would do to kind of save his own face would be to bring her before the city council and kind of point out what happened and say, this isn't me. And then they would clear his name and they would condemn her as guilty. But unfortunately, or and unfortunately, when a woman in that place and time was caught in these moments, she was pretty much destined to give her body away in prostitution, just to support herself, just to survive. Most of the time, someone who's shamed like that would become a prostitute because it was just life ruining. So Joseph was in this horrible place thinking, what do I do? And the woman of his dreams had apparently betrayed him and now his next actions would ruin her life even more. But what do we know about him? While we know he was a righteous man and he didn't want to disgrace her, he didn't want to shame her, so he thought about breaking the engagement quietly. But what I love about this story is that he didn't realize that at his lowest moment, God was at work and it was about to become one of his holiest moments. What he didn't realize is that at one of his lowest moments, this unexpected moment of what do I do, it was about to become such a beautiful holy moment. Scripture tells us this in Matthew's gospel, verse 20 in chapter one. As he considered this, as he was thinking about breaking off the engagement, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, before we look at what Joseph did, I want to notice what he didn't do. The angel says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And what he didn't do was he didn't explain the dream away. He didn't say, okay, that was just a weird dream. I don't know what I'm thinking. Might've been the food I ate. He didn't do it. He didn't argue with God saying, wait a minute, you're asking me to put my name on the line and to trust some dream? He didn't negotiate with God. Well, give me another sign. This time I want 10 angels to show up and I want them to, to bring a bigger sign that I'm from God. He didn't ask for details. This is the one that gets me. Because, you know, if I'm going to say yes to this, I want a little more clarity. I want to know what's going to happen. Like, you're telling me to sign on for something pretty big here. But none of that happened. All he did when the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. If there was one statement that we'd want to be true of us, it would be that we followed through, that we obeyed what God commanded us to do, that we were obedient without understanding any of the details to come. 
And what Joseph proves to us is this. You don't have to understand completely in order to obey immediately. And I love that. You don't have to understand completely in order to obey immediately. You don't need every single detail. You don't need everything ironed out. You don't need all your ducks in a row. You don't know how it you don't need to know how it's going to end if God is there in the beginning. Because when you think about it, what he didn't know you think about all the details is that he didn't know that at 9 months of being pregnant there was going to be a decree that you had to go back to your homeland to Bethlehem for a census, and that they were going to have to travel by donkey 100 miles to get there. He didn't know that there would be wild animals, that his baby would be born next to in a manger and a stable. He didn't know that Herod would then issue a decree to kill all the baby boys to and under, and that while your child is safe in your arms, but you're on the run, all these other babies were being murdered because of yours. He didn't know that. Joseph had no idea the weight of raising the Son of God. And without knowing any of the details, he obeyed immediately. And this is how it applies to us. At some point, God is going to speak to us through his word. He might prompt you through the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead you to do something. And you're not going to know the details. You're not going to know how it plays out. Maybe you're dating someone and you know that... It's not God's best for me. And you're going to hear a message on dating and the the Holy Spirit's going to give you kind of this nudge to, hey, I think you need to break up because how are you going to end up with the right one if you're dating the wrong one? And you're thinking, oh, but I've invested so much time into this. Like, I'm going to have nothing then. But if God prompts you to do something, do you obey or do you not obey? Or maybe God's been stirring within you to use your gifts to serve in the church because we don't go to church. We are the church and we have all the different gifts and we're all important to the the body of Christ. And we're supposed to work together as the body of Christ. So we don't just watch what happens in the kingdom of God. We're part of what happens in the kingdom of God. And maybe God prompts you to do something or to say something. And you're like, ah, but God, I'm just so busy right now. But do you follow through on what God asks or don't you? Or God might lead you to give something, to bless somebody, and you think, but God, it's so tight for me right now. Groceries are through the roof. Like interest rates are high, stocks are low, but God prompts you to give something and to be a blessing to others. Or maybe someone has betrayed you and God's word pierces your heart that we're to forgive others in the same way that we've been forgiven. So you have a choice to make. And it may be hard and you might not know how it's going to play out. You don't have all the details, but God's prompting you. So do you obey or do you not obey? And what I would encourage you to remember is this. Obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. Obedience is our responsibility. That's on us. The outcome is on God's. What We do what he leads us to do, and then we trust him with the results. And this, in my opinion, is one of the bigger problems in our part of the world, is that where we live in North America, people are more educated than we are obedient. 
we're educated beyond our level of obedience. And I'm not knocking education at all. I'm a huge believer in education. But sometimes we can get so much head knowledge, but it can be so far from our hearts that we have all this information, but we simply do nothing with it. I've even read reports and articles on kind of the social media and some of the activism that happens on there, that we see all these tragic reports and these things to support and we simply click like, or we double tap and put our heart on it. And we feel like, okay, we've done something now to stand up for the social cause. We have so much head knowledge, but not a life of application. So as people say, feed me, feed me, give me more, give me more, give me more we actually need to do more of what we already know. We need to be obedient to what God has already said, to start with obedience to his revealed word, to, to do what he says in scripture, to know his word, to apply his word, even though we don't know all the details as to how it will unfold. And I think that's our biggest hangup is we say, well, I would if I just knew how it would end. Our job's to obey God and to trust him with the results. Joseph didn't have all the details and he did what the angel of the Lord told him to do. And then the angel continued and said, for the child within her, the child within Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I love that. I'm gonna read it again because the child that was within Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she'll have a son and he'll be called Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This is why God sent him to us. This child that was within her, it was a miraculous holy birth conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And why does that matter? It matters because if the child had been conceived by an earthly father, conceived by the seed of Joseph, well, he would have the sinful nature that's passed on from person to person to person. But because he didn't inherit the sin nature of man, but instead inherited the spiritual nature of God, he was born without sin, he lived without sin, and he could die as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's why it matters. And I don't know about you, but I need grace. I need forgiveness. Like I'm first in line, like I mess up. But what's your sin? Where's your weight? Where are you heavy? Have you been battling with lust? Well, there's grace for your lust. Have you been battling with jealousy? Well, there's forgiveness for your jealousy. Have you been unfaithful? Well, he, his grace covers your sins and there is no sin too great for God's grace. Jesus is enough. Jesus was born of a virgin without sin so he could die as the perfect sacrifice and so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And an angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And Joseph simply obeys, knowing that there will be a significant cost to him. He's gonna face serious opposition. And that's just a heads up reminder for us that any time, almost every time that God prompts you to do something, he gives you a word, there's going to be direct opposition. If God speaks to you through his word, he speaks to you by his spirit, maybe he even speaks to you through the community, the body of believers, Almost every time you actually choose to obey that word, 
you're gonna be met with some form of spiritual opposition. I feel that so many times, especially even leading up to this Christmas series, I've been feeling just this spiritual opposition. Or sometimes when it's our Easter series and we have these larger weekends where more community people will come out, man, I just feel it in my spirit. And if I look back over my life at some of these most significant things that I've done, every single time there was real spiritual opposition. When I really surrendered my life to Christ at the age of 24, and I was just like, God, I need to follow through on what you've been asking me to do, which was to go into ministry, and I'd been running from for years. And then suddenly, it was kind of a weird opposition, because it wasn't opposition in the sense of people were against me, but it was people were questioning why I would give up how much I had here to go out west and follow God and go to school. And then when I was applying for my first youth ministry position, Amanda and I, we we got into one of our biggest fights probably to date. And I remember we had grabbed dinner and we were down at the White Rock Beach and we were just yelling at each other in the car. And I'm like, fine, I'll call the church up right now and tell them I'm not taking the job. I don't want the job. Like, this is stupid. Man, that was one of the best five years that we had out at that church. And I'm so thankful that I didn't follow through on calling up the church saying we're not coming or buying a home here in Binbrook to start a church. We had some opposition and church planting. Everything in our newly purchased home just started breaking down on the same day. And I'm like, how am I going to afford this? Like I went to the washing machine, broken, dryer, broken. Okay, I'll grab coffee, the fridge, broken. I'm like, man. (laughs) And trust me, when you start a new church, in an existing community, you would not believe the resistance. Why another church? Why another church? Who do you think you are? Why do we need another church? And this is what's going to happen when God speaks to you. When you obey, when you, when you step away from following the pack, you are going to meet resistance. You choose to stop partying, of course they're going to make fun of you. They're going to reject you. Or when you say, you know what? Yeah, I've done a lot of things, but I'm not gonna have sex anymore until I'm married. I'm gonna wait for that. And then once I'm married, I'll make up for lost time. But for now, I'm following through on what God says. Of course, there's gonna be some resistance. Or you just start getting crazy generous and you start giving not just 10%, but 12% and 15%. You're giving things away and people just start questioning, why are you giving so much? And it's because you know you can make a greater kingdom impact. I've had so many accountants and bookkeepers because I used to be in the business accounting program at Mohawk question why I gave so much away to church. And I had to explain why I believe in tithe and because God told me to, but they're like, why so much? Just like maybe scale that back a bit because you're crazy. It's like, you're absolutely right I am, but I believe in what God's called me to do. And maybe God's even prompting you to just work hard to get out of debt because again, you know you can make a greater kingdom impact. So don't worry though, when you face opposition, when you make some of these decisions and you know that God's leading you to make these. And the reason why is because I would be more afraid if there was no opposition. Because really, the devil, others, they're not gonna care if you just go with the flow. It's when you start making a decision, putting your stake in the ground, that then resistance happens. And that's why I pray like crazy for you guys when you get baptized and before and after, because 
you're publicly declaring, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm like, oh man, I don't always, I should probably be a little more honest when you're about to be baptized that like things are about to hit the fan (laughs) because things are happening. The kingdom is expanding. So don't worry when you face opposition for your obedience to God. Worry when you don't have any. Obedience will be difficult. It may cost you early, but you have no idea what God can do through one moment of obedience. The angel said, do not be afraid to take her as your wife. And Joseph did as the angel commanded. And it changed the entire history of the world. One moment. Life isn't measured just by time. It's measured by moments. You have no idea what God might do through one moment of obedience. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to read his word. I hope you're reading his word, whether it's the actual Bible, it's the Bible app, it's some devotionals. But as you're reading his word, he's going to prompt you by his spirit to say something, to do something, to give something. He might prompt you even to confess a sin. He might prompt you to apologize for something that you've done wrong. He might prompt you to get help for an addiction that you're battling. He might lead you to forgive someone in the same way that Christ has forgiven you. He might prompt you to be praying for someone or to be be a witness to someone or to send a message to someone or not just invite someone to church, but to live in such a way that people want to come to church with you. And you'll have a choice to make in that moment. Do you obey or not? And I want to remind you that you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. Because life, when it comes down to it, is not always measured by years. It's often measured in moments. You have no idea what God might do in you or what God might do through you in one moment of obedience. So Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you fill us with your spirit. Stir within us a fresh sense of your presence today and give us the faith and the courage to obey. God, we want to hear from you. And not just that, help us to be obedient when we do hear from you. Help us to follow through on what it is you're asking, even if we don't know all the details. Just help us to have faith to obey. And God, I really do with every bit of faith that I have, pray that we would be known as, as an obedient and faithful people. God, that, we'd just, that we wouldn't just have head knowledge, but that we'd have the faith to live out your truth. So speak to us, convict us. Wherever we're sinful, lead us in the right direction. Search our hearts, God. Lead us in the way everlasting. Speak to us now, I pray. God, I pray that there will be people here this morning that won't be able to make it out of the church without reaching out to someone with a word of encouragement or with a gift of blessing, with a moment of prayer. God, help us to be available to you at every moment. And God, when you speak, give us the faith to obey. As the angel said, and Joseph did, God, when you speak, we will. God, for those who are struggling today, 
whether they just feel the weight of loss, sin, condemnation, the weight and burden of guilt. God, I pray that you'd encourage them with the fact that we can confess our sins and turn away from them. And God, they're not held against us, but they're completely wiped away and forgiven when we call on the name of Jesus. You hear our prayers, you forgive our sins. So God, we ask for your grace. We ask for your forgiveness now. Help us to step away from our sins. Help us to break the bondage of addiction. God, help us to leave our old life behind and live a life with you. So God, save us, make us new, fill us with your spirit. Help us know you and serve you and obey you and show your love to the world in everything we do. God, our life is not our own. We give it to you and we thank you for this new life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.